If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When we start feeling a deep sense of calm and contentment toward our partner, there are 12 brain areas that are activated. And these 12 areas trigger not just basic emotions like people have thought for years and years and years, but also more complex intellectual areas in our brain. When we are in love, we think faster, we feel better, and we dream bigger. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast, a show that explores the mind, soul, science and health as we speak with world-leading experts each week. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur and happiness researcher. Life is not straightforward, so join me as we navigate being human together and become what I like to call flexible thinkers. I believe that curiosity and education is the route for more happiness, love, connectedness, and the doorway to unlocking your unlimited potential. I hope you join me on the journey. Gosh, am I excited for today's interview as I'll be chatting to one of the world's most famous neuroscientists on the topic of romantic love, Dr. Stephanie. Dr. Stephanie is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine and the director of the school's Brain Dynamics Laboratory. She is the first female president of the Society for Social Neuroscience, an international field dedicated to understanding how biological systems implement social behaviors and modern society. She's been named a rising star by the Association for Psychological Science for her outstanding contributions to the science of psychology in the areas of research, teaching, and or application. And she's won further awards for her research on the neuroimaging of love in clinical case reports. In her new book, Wired for Love, Stephanie tells not just a science story, but also a love story. She shares revelatory insights into how and why we fall in love, what makes love last, and how we process love lost, all grounded in cutting-edge findings in brain chemistry and behavioral science. Woven through it is her very moving personal story, from love to grief and healing. What is a favorite quote you return to and why? My favorite quote is perhaps uh, from uh, Maya Angelou, who beautifully wrote, have enough courage to trust love one more time and always one more time. Why did you choose that one? Love is um, a universal biological necessity. We cannot live without it. And um, even if life is a roller coaster, we have to trust love and have the courage to trust love, even in the most difficult times of our life. What's a recent life lesson you've been reminded of recently? I think the main lesson I got um, recently is that to love someone when they are gone just means holding them really close and keeping them in the part of your brain that feels like your heart. 
And lastly, how do you understand the soul? I think I understand the soul uh, through love, honestly. And um, we cannot fully understand the soul without understanding how it beautifully aligns with our mind and our body and our planet, right? I love how you define a sustainable life and how we need to be always connected with our mind, our body, and something also much bigger than ourselves, and like the planet, for instance. And we can all together have this um, beautiful uh, mission to have a unified and collective soul. I haven't ever thought about it in that way, actually, before this idea like mind, body, and you're right, what is that thing that's extra that collectively bonds us all? Amazing food for thought to start this interview on and something that I'll continue to reflect on. But I can't wait to dive straight into this beautiful book of yours that is just so engaging and a real page turner. I wanted to begin with something that you write at the beginning of the book. And it's a little bit about the data that really demonstrates to me that we're in a bit of a crisis when it comes to love. And you write, we live in a time when the environment needed to sustain love is being stressed in new ways. Marriage rates have plunged into historic lows. Half of adults in the United States are now single compared to 22% in the 1950s. And then you move on to share that college professors say their students are actively not wanting to fall in love in case love disrupts their plans. So in your opinion, what is threatening our ability to love and why are these statistics so low? We live in a time of social flux where love is under attack, honestly. Right now we see all around the world that we should perhaps let the world heal and embrace love in addition of all, all the classical headwinds that couples have faced for years and years, like power struggle, lack of loving relationship, or lack of communication, or even unrealistic expectations, people have been on the brink of giving up on love at, at all because of the pandemic and all the stress that we've been under. And half of the singles say that they are not even on the dating market anymore. Single living is on the rise and it's uh, universal. Even in Japan, half of the people who want to get married cannot find a spouse. And the millennials, as you mentioned, are being um, touched the hardest. Uh, I think uh, something like 61% of them live without a spouse or a partner. And in this moment of collective crisis, we need to think about the quote I, I first mentioned from Maya Angelou. We need to, to have enough courage to trust love one more time and always one more time. I know I'm a hopeless romantic puppy, but I'm also a scientist. And I'm really here to make the case that in this time of, of social flux, we need to take heart. We need to believe in love again, because that's what um, bonds us all. And uh when we don't have loving relationships, the consequences can be devastating for our physical health and our mental health. For instance, people who feel lonely have a higher risk for type 2 diabetes, for high blood pressure, for higher stress, for high um, inflammation, or even their immune system is depressed and they are depressed as well. 
So we really need to do something. And whatever our social life is, I really believe, based on my research, that love must be the foundation and the backbone of our existence. And from studies after studies, I've noticed that the roots of our well-being depends on our love for others. I mean, it's really powerful stuff because, you know, I'm sure there'll be many people out there that could argue that relationships are now in just different forms. And so potentially some of these data points, you know, just reflect trends in society and people choosing to live lives in different ways. But fundamentally, when you go back to the research and really like the neuroscience is love and the, and the impact that has on our health, you can really see how detrimental it is actually in, in, in many ways. So moving into why people are choosing to be single or are single, they're choosing to live a life away from relationships in many ways. You talk about FOBO, and I'd love to hear your reflection on that more. You're raising so many good points, Poppy. Um, one of them is, are we really holding love to, to higher standards? Is love really uh, changing? And um, I'm grateful, honestly, to all the people who are uh, asking these questions and who are challenging love. Because, yes, I agree with them that love is changing. And I will maybe say with all due respect that love is not only changing it's evolving mm. and that's one of the most beautiful thing of love it's its adaptability love is malleable love can evolve and the world will evolve and the love will evolve with the society and that's how we have evolved as a species so i really believe in the power of love in this sense I also understand everyone who got confused recently in the face of uh, this uh, love evolution and who were uh, faced to uh, what we call FOBO, the fear of better option. <laughs> and so um, psychologists call this problem choice overload. We, we tend to think that the dating pool is maybe too shallow or too wide or not satisfying but actually, it all depends on your definition of love. And whatever you call it, I understand how exhausting it can be to be faced with so many choices. And neuroscience actually suggests that we don't need that many choices. People love a specific number, like between 8 and 15 is the right number. <laughs> Other than that, people might feel overwhelmed. And um, as the pandemic started to ease, some people experienced something else, Poppy, that I called FODA, the fear of dating again. They had different expectations, and some of them were really traumatized by the alienation caused by what they had experienced during COVID. To go back to your first point about this like love evolution, what pushback do you get as a neuroscientist about love and the changing ways people love? And what are your thoughts in terms of, well, love is evolving, but clearly it's not evolving in a way that is satisfying the human race, because why would loneliness be the highest it's ever been? I think it all depends of, on how we define love and what we expect from our social relationships. So to really address your question, I think we need to define uh, loneliness. 
So from a neuroscientific viewpoint, loneliness is a discrepancy between what you have and what you want in a relationship. So you can be alone and extremely lonely, but also you can be in a marriage and feel extremely lonely. It all depends on the script that you have in your mind on how your relationship should be. And you can be at a party and feel extremely lonely as well. So one is not the loneliest number. And you can also be on social media and feel extremely lonely. It all depends how you use social media. So if you use social media as a destination and just look at people having fun online and not even like noticing that you're there, it can be extremely ostracizing and extremely painful. It's like when you take your bike and go downtown (laughs) and see your friends on the sidewalk and having fun and you wave at them and they don't wave back. They don't even see you. It can be really lonely. But now, if you take your bicycle (laughs) and go downtown to meet your friends face to face and have fun with them and share good times with them, something that we call in psychology capitalization, sharing good times and capitalizing on the positive stocks we can share with one another, that can be extremely fulfilling. So all depends on what you expect from your uh, social relationships. And love without expecting anything in return is a great highway to find happiness. There's this one point in the book which I found really fascinating because you talk about a study that asked people to write down the money they expect to win from a game. And then the participants played the game And those that had high expectations for how much they were going to win and didn't win as much obviously felt sad after the game. But those that had no expectations felt really, really happy. This really brought up for me what you're talking about just then about this idea of expectations and how influential they are and how we feel about things. It highlighted to me actually some of the problems with modern day manifesting because you're told to write these laundry lists for what you want, for what you expect in a partner. And then what I'm finding is just a huge amount of disappointment when these laundry lists aren't fulfilled. What are your thoughts on this from a neuroscientific perspective on people being told to write vision boards with their perfect partner on in the hope that that will in some way summon that perfect partner? That's a tricky question. So it all depends under which conditions you are writing this vision board. So if you're writing it or doing it for yourself, it can be extremely helpful. So uh, studies in, in psychology have found that if you write down goals just before going to bed, you are more likely to achieve them. So if you have, let's say, a list of things you need to do at work tomorrow, write them down tonight before you go to bed so that will make uh, improve your sleep quality so you don't have to think about it uh, overnight. And then in the morning, you will wake up, see this list, and be more likely to achieve all your goals. And one thing that is important here is to have this uh, should, uh, could, and uh, would do list. Right, there are the things you should do, 
that you really have to do the, that you have a deadline. And so this should be on top of your list. Then the things that you could do, but don't have to do necessarily tomorrow. And then the thing like you would like to do. If you write them down, you will realize that you don't necessarily have to do them tomorrow. You can do them next week, next month, and that will help you tremendously reduce the burnout. And that will set you free from um, all the stress and anxiety that you might have to accomplish or achieve all your uh, to-do list. So now when it comes to dating, that's a whole different story. (laughs) I will not recommend having a a list of all the things that your partner should, could, or would have. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, go on. Tell us why is it not useful? (laughs) I mean, sometimes expectations really kill gratitude and uh, expectations can kill love. I mean, you might miss the one just because you have this list and they might be sitting next to you right now and listening and carefully with you and, and you're not even noticing them because you're focusing on your list. And so the key to finding love is really to have an open mind and to shred that list (laughs) of the prince or princess charming and really be in the moment and and look and listen to people who, who are around you and who love you. I'm not sure people even know what is even a good relationship anymore because... There's actually very few examples in many ways in current culture for people to say, oh, yes, that looks nice, you know? What is the secret to a fulfilling relationship? I will really um, answer this question um, by reflecting on what it means to be a couple. How do you define a couple? And uh, psychologists and neuroscientists have asked these kind of questions for years and years. And what people tend to answer is really personal. And there is not a real definition of what a couple means. And so I would say that the same is true for love. No matter how you define love, I would say that's the right definition. There is no right or wrong when it comes to love uh, or to defining love. What, what you feel, and I'm going to say what you feel in your heart <laughs> and in your mind... <laughs> Uh, is the right thing. So follow your heart or perhaps follow that part of your brain that feels like your heart. So yes, I know it's confusing. We don't really know what is a good relationship, but we know what feels good. You know what feels good for you right now. So one advice perhaps is to write down all the things that feel good for you. Mm. So when you're with someone and they make you smile, Write it down so you can have this jar of the moments to remember, you know, and every day you write down on the little card all the things or all the people who made you smile. And after a few days, after weeks, after months, you will really understand what love is for you. And so when you're in a relationship, we have a natural tendency to expect the best right? Mm. And we are really influenced by society in this matter. But does that really work for you, for us? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We are neurologically wired to uh, embrace diversity, changes, and evolution. And we should always remember that neurologically wiring also applies to us. We should embrace our changes. So if you see yourself evolving, you should embrace that too. The self you have now is not the same self that you had 10 years ago. So the list that you made 10 years ago about how he or she or they should propose <laughs> is not necessarily what would make you happy right now. And people should not feel guilty if they have a hard time being in the moment. You know, if you tell your, um, your kids or nieces or nephews, be in the moment, what would they say? Where, where, where is the moment? Where should I go? Tell me and I'll go there right now. Yes, I promise. So one thing that we can do, Poppy, and if you don't mind doing it with me right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be in the moment, try to spell out your last name and your first name backwards. E-I-M-A-J. It's an easy one. Your surname is so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> but once, when you were doing it, you were in the moment. Yeah. You lost track of time. So... um Poppy, welcome to the present. <laughs> Thank you. The present feels good. Let me tell you that. It feels really good. I would love to kind of dive into the three types of love because I, again, thought this was absolutely fascinating and how arguably this could then lead to loving two people because there are two types of love you could be um, expressing. Can you take us through maybe like the three stages of love or the three types of love? Yeah, thank you for asking. As you noticed in the book, I love to examine matters of the heart by looking deep into the brain. So by describing um, the three types of love, I'm going to tap into the different brain networks. Yes, please do. Okay, so when we look for love, um, you have to think about the brain with different parts. And the most primitive part of the brain uh, is awakening and motivating you to crave and seek out a partner. And one of these brain areas um, that is very ancient is shaped like a heart. It is called the VTA, the ventral tegmental area. 
And I love the VTA. It pumps dopamine into the feel-good reward circuit of the brain, which then creates euphoria and joy. And that's why you're smiling all the time when you are like um, feeling these kind of feelings of love. So that's the first uh, stage when you're really looking uh, for love. And then when you begin to feel like you're falling in love with someone, the first thing we notice is, again, how good it feels. And because the brain continues to release these feel-good neurotransmitters and all the, the good natural elements that boost our mood, you feel really good. And then when you find love, it's like a biological firework in your brain and in your body. Our heart rate is elevated, our levels of the so-called love hormone, oxytocin, also rising, which makes us feel connected. And our levels of norepinephrine are spiking, which makes you lose track of time, like when you're in the moment. And then our levels of adrenaline will rise, which expands our capillaries in our cheeks, for instance, which makes us uh, blush. And then, at the same time, our levels of serotonin, which is a key hormone in regulating mood, appetite, and intrusive anxious thoughts, falls down. So that's normal. And then, when we start feeling a deep sense of calm and contentment toward our partner, there are 12 brain areas that are activated. And these 12 areas trigger not just basic emotions like people have thought for years and years and years, but also more complex intellectual areas in our brain. Areas that are involved in compassion, memory, creativity. And that's why I think romantic love can feel sometimes like a superpower that makes your brain thrive. When we are in love, we think faster, we feel better, and we dream bigger. And then to maintain love, we can do some drills or workouts for your brain. <laughs> and there is this area just above your left ear that is specifically activated when you identify with someone, when you really have a sense of unity. And so by practicing what we call self-disclosure with your partner, you can have this area trained. And this area is called the angular gyrus. It gives you basically a new angle on your life. <laughs> and the more you practice self-disclosure, the more you train this brain area. What do you mean by self-disclosure? Can you give an example? Remember the first time you went on a date, the, the first date, you ask all these questions about, <laughs> about what your partner or future partner uh, loves or likes, dislikes, what are their favorite color. And then the New York Times published this um, uh, 36 questions that everyone should or could ask on a date. And that are the questions that help you uh, self-disclose more and um, potentially facilitate 
or prime these 12 areas uh, to be more activated. And that's why when you ask these 36 questions, you tend to, to be more uh, prone to feeling love uh, with that person. Mm. So the key is, yes, it's great to ask questions on the first date, but it's important to keep asking questions throughout your relationship. Because your self is constantly evolving and your partner's self is also evolving constantly. And that's a good thing. But keep checking in and keep realigning yourselves together. And that's really a predictive of long-lasting relationships. That's really interesting because I do think in relationships, whether that be romantic or even platonic, there is a degree of assumption that starts to arise. We assume we know, we assume people are predictable. Do you know much about the research into whether we are predictable or not? Like how often is it that people change or not so much? We are creatures of habits, uh, past um, behaviors, predict future behaviors. All psychologists will tell you that, but... <laughs> There is a big, big caveat here that we're also evolving and we can change. And that's thanks to a mechanism that we called in neuroscience neuroplasticity. That's the beautiful thing we have in our brain that allows us to learn all the time, that allows us to grow and to bounce back from adversity. And thanks to neuroplasticity, we can bounce back. And I would say we can also bounce forward and be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. Where do you see the blocks in people being able to see the beauty in who they are? And what is perhaps a root out of that? And maybe this kind of links into when you are feeling so weighed down by some of the strongest emotions like grief, something that you experienced how does one still see the beauty? Yeah, so um, one key feature of my book comes from um, one dear friend who um, always said that we should um, see beauty in, in struggle. And um, I really live and breathe this uh, mentality. To answer this, your question, Poppy, I think people have a hard time seeing beauty in struggle because of uh, an evolutionary bias that we all have. And it's a negativity bias. So um, the key is really to have realistic expectations and um, expect the, the best from life, but also prepare for the worst. And once we, we, we are grounded in this truth, we, I think we can face anything and be fearless and be uh, happy and curious to discover anything that will uh, come our way. I, this actually kind of brings me on to talking about some of the main reasons for relationships not lasting, because you write in your book, according to therapists, the three main reasons why people split are power struggles, lack of loving feelings, lack of communication, and the last one, to your point just now, unrealistic expectations. What have you found in your research about how unrealistic expectations play out? Like, What are the most common unrealistic expectations do you find? I mean, it's all about going back to the scripts, right? To, uh, to have this uh, perfect uh, life on paper. Uh, but we all know um, nothing is perfect. 
And so uh, just to be real and just uh, face um, what life has to offer, be um, vulnerable, be authentic, and be authentic to yourself. I think that's the, the key thing that I also learned in my journey. And uh, that was challenging for me. In the past, I used to share good news always. I, my passion in life was to make people happy. So I only uh, shared good news. And then um, I had to learn how to share also negative news and uh, to face the reality of, uh, of pain. And by, uh, by sharing pain, I realized that we, we, we share um, a collective experience that brings us all together as a society. And I think there is beauty in that, in this collective unity. From a neuroscience perspective, can anyone really truly just have casual sex and not form attachment? Well, when it comes to the, the brain and uh, when you look at the neurological signature of, um, of these two uh, phenomena, you, understand, uh, you can understand how close they are. And uh, the lines are really blurry between the two and uh, the feelings that you might experience in a, in a physical situation. And when you're really fusing with the other person and uh, merging yourselves as one, you will um, activate the same neurotransmitters or hormones that are activated in a romantic love. And so from a biological standpoint, the two are really... Um, two sides of the, the same spectrum, actually. So with knowing that, do you encourage people to maybe not even call the term casual sex because it's misleading, that this idea that you can do this without stimulating a cascading hormone waterfall? Yeah, I think there is a beauty that we learn from the brain is that there are when it comes to activating this um, neural network, there are many ways to awaken our senses. We cannot love without involving the mind, the heart, and the body. And you can do so by uh, going on a walk together with your partner, like doing uh, going on a run together with your partner and having this social uh, physical experiences that will get you closer and really reinforce the, the love of, um, that you have uh, for, for one another. And we found in our studies that there is a, a like a, a back to front progression from uh, bodily sensations to something more abstract, more conceptual, like almost a metaphor uh, of love. And that's something that uh, really makes us human. And to kind of follow on from that, how scientifically can we sustain love and ensure all the three regions of the brain stay activated to keep relationships long and loving? I think one key is really to remain curious about who you are and who uh, your partner is and embrace who they are. And uh, wherever you are right now, embrace you, be you. And um, that's the, the beauty of, uh, of love and unconditional love for others and also for yourself. And we have evolved not to love, but we have evolved because of love. So if we want to keep evolving as a society, as a species, we need to, to embrace love for one another. What about the oxytocin, like keeping, you know, I know, for example, that you said in one of the chapters of your books, let go of plans, the fact that novelty is actually an important part of sustaining love. 
Yes, oxytocin is this fabulous love hormone that enhances uh, pair bonding, but also um, it enhances creative performance, and that makes you feel closer um, to your partner. Every time that you see something that is novel, you will have this um, rise of oxytocin. And the trick that you can do to your mind is to see something new every day, even in your routines. So how do you see something new in yourself today? How do you see something new in your partner? Ask them questions, yes, but also just by observing their body language. Can you notice something new and embrace that newness with joy and love? And I think that's also the key for long-lasting relationships. So much advice shared today and some just really lovely reflections. How best for people to find you, ask you questions and uh, find the book? Well, they can go um, on my website or or they can contact you, Poppy. <laughs> Amazing. And we will put Dr. Stephanie's website in the show notes, as well as links to her brilliant book, Wired for Love. Thank you so much for your time. This interview has been really lovely. I've loved having you on. Thank you, Poppy. A real uh, pleasure to be with you uh, today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 